0: We can have our kiddos go downstairs. Miss Ashley's got great stuff for you today. You know, it's amazing in our little church how many people have served uh, in the military, and I know uh, we've got even people that aren't here today. I think Sharon, was Sharon Air Force? Yeah, Air Force, and gosh, we have Marines, we have Army, we, uh, Anita, Anita had to leave because of the program, but, uh, he was Navy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's just absolutely amazing how many families are affected and have been willing to do that, uh, and pay the ultimate price as far as willingness. And, uh, just, just so amazing. Um, why don't we just open with prayer, and I just want to pray over all our veterans and just pray for our military this morning before we dive into the message father God our hearts are, are heavy we celebrate uh, Lord there's no way to share with the people Lord that give their give their all Lord Jesus and the people in our company today God I pray blessings over them and their family and Lord for for family members and friends that are overseas right now and just abroad and serving gosh from the US Coast Guard all the way to all of our uh, arms of the military, God. I just pray that Your hand of protection would be on them, God, as we are defeating the enemy in the Middle East and defeating other enemies abroad. And uh, Lord, there is a lot of situations going on, and um, lots of things flaring. Lord, we just pray that uh, You would put a stop to some of this aggression. And, Lord, we thank you for the protection over our country. Lord, we just uh, ask God humbly for your help. And, God, give our leadership, give the president and, uh, Lord, the armed services, everyone that's involved, God, wisdom and direction and focus and determination. Uh, Lord, I just pray blessings over all the veterans today, uh, those among us, God, who are serving and, and giving their all, Lord Jesus, for the cause and for the fight. We bless them and we thank them. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Gosh, big, big stuff. Um, if you would, turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58, I want to talk about this verse of scripture. It's uh, the true art of fasting. Maybe you have fasted before and God's led you in a fast uh, for a day, three days, maybe even a 40-day fast. Um Fasting is something God calls us to many times. In fact, he told his disciples uh, one incident that they had that he said this situation isn't dealt with without prayer and fasting. So there are times in our life where God calls us to those things. But I'm not talking about fasting today, so everyone go, (laughs) woo! We're talking about the type of fast God calls us to as far as taking care of. Of others and uh, taking care of the hungry and uh, freeing the oppressed and what the churches is calling responsibility to. This was a clarion call here and people kind of started getting stuck on themselves and um, forgot what true worship was and what the identity that God called to us. And I love kind of this verse of scripture with all this behind us because I want us to understand going forward that we never lose so focus and sight of what true worship is. Isaiah chapter 58, he tells the prophet Isaiah to shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. He says, shout aloud and do not be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. The laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want me to be near." We have fasted before you, they said. Why aren't you impressed? We have been hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. I will tell you why. I respond, it's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads, like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Everyone say amen. amen. Then your salvation will come like dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godless Your godliness will lead you forward forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call and the Lord will answer, yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression, stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble and then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. That's a pretty clear call, isn't it? Isaiah 58, we were studying this actually on Tuesday night, I had to get Hunter, we were at a basketball game, we snuck in here kind of right in the middle of it, and I was seeing, and I had a group of men there, it was pretty awesome, I was sitting kind of in the back behind all the guys, a really great group of guys there, and as this, I'll never be able to dice into Isaiah 58 like Ray Vanderland does, but... It really sparked me. I said, all right, we're running with that race. So, Jim, thank you. Because that night, it was beautiful. And I saw the group of men there, and I said, we're capable of fulfilling Isaiah 58. You and me. He didn't say for God to break the chains of the oppressor. He said for his people to break the chains. He said, don't be hard on your workers. He gives kind of all these things, and do you know, it's kind of interesting, when it comes to repentance for us, sometimes it takes a big trumpet in our ear in order to get our attention, doesn't it? Because many times in our Christian faith, and I am completely in this group, we're all completely stuck on ourselves. So we think we're doing a pretty good job. Turn to someone and say, you're doing a pretty good job. So this isn't kind of a guilt kind of thing, but I want us to understand Isaiah calls the nation out with a trumpet, that a blast of a trumpet. And he said, shout it out as loud as you can. Give this kind of just kind of bearing my daughter when she first started playing an instrument, the trumpet that she played, Ashley played, was a, or the instrument she played was a trumpet. And it was funny because even our neighbors would hear her when she would practice. And my neighbor goes, is someone playing a trumpet in your house? And we're like, yep, Ashley's playing the trumpet. When Ashley was first born, the very first thing that she did, she burst it out in her Ashley loud voice in the nursery there. And we knew that Ashley was alive and she was well. And it's the trumpet. And it's an anointing that God gives to every person in here today, is that God gives us a trumpet. God gives us a voice to cry aloud and spare not. But religion kind of creeps in, and we kind of point to God, and you don't have to raise your hand when you say this, but how many of us have said, God, I prayed about this, and I did this, now you do something about it. And God comes back and says, You call this fasting? You make your little parades and you do your little things and your sackcloth and ashes? From from a context of what it is, he said, tell my people. He said, they come to the temple every day. Gosh, if we can get everyone to come here every Sunday, that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? We'd be so proud of ourselves. I came to church every Sunday out of the week. Aren't I an amazing Christian today? But God doesn't base our faith on our church attendance. God doesn't base your faith on your quiet time. God doesn't base your faith on all the little ceremonial giving that we give. God bases it on the motivation of our hearts. There's a religious kind of thing in the religiosity we get in our Western Gospel. Charles, uh, Chuck Swindoll had said this. He said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God please." Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love the unlovely or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the wound, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. No, no, not the flesh and blood one. He will keep me from my appointment from the hairdresser and make me late for the cocktail party. He will soil my linen and break my strand of matched pearls. I can't put up with the pundits from Persia or the sweaty shepherds trampling over my nylon carpet with their muddy feet. My name isn't Mary, you know. I want no living, breathing Christ, but the one I can keep in its crib with a rubber band. That plastic one will do just fine. You know, and I think in the church today in America, I think we want a $3 version of Jesus. And the clarion call in America today is for the Christians and for all of us to get on our knees and to humble ourselves and say, God, what am I doing wrong? Not what are they doing wrong? See, what happened with the fasting here is when they would fast, and when you really read the context of the story here and the commentary on it, what they would do is they would fast. And then in their fasting, they would try to pick each other apart and see who was the cause of the problem in the situations going on in their church. So they would fast, and then they would meddle in each other's business, saying, well, Johnny did this, and you did that. It's amazing to me how when people come and they bring their problems, we might not say it, but we will start to dissect, and we'll start to say, well, you did this wrong, and you did that wrong, and if you fix this, and if you fix that, everything would be better, Right? We get into the fix-it mode, and we get into the religiosity of it, and say, well, if you would just start coming to church, your life would be better. That's not what they need. (laughs) They need Christ. Say, well, I thought church was Christ. Well, if church was Christ, and if just our lives were based on church attendance, life would be grand, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be really simple in our faith? We could just go to church, sing some songs, and life would be great. But that's not Isaiah 58. I want no living, breathing Christ, but one to keep in its crib with a rubber band. The plastic one will do just fine. I don't know if you realize this or not in America, but Christianity is not a popular thing. You know that. Now, it's still popular. It's wildly successful on Sundays still. But we are losing whole generations of people. We've lost our center stage, so to speak, if you will. It's not popular because it's not true gospel is not politically correct it doesn't fit in so Christianity's lost its place and thus it makes the gospel in america losing its place tom clegg and warren bird lost right and lost in america christians must learn how to live the gospel as a distinct people who will no longer occupy the center of society we must learn to build relational bridges that win a hearing our christian rhetoric has become white noise i'm afraid It gets hopelessly stuck in our minds and struggles to transition to our hearts and then our hands. Our only hope is to follow the example of Jesus and get back out there winning people over with ridiculous love and a lifestyle that causes them to finally sit up and take notice. You want somebody to take notice? You love them in an insane way. You forgive them in an insane way. You blessed them in a crazy way. We were sharing stories of some of these families that we were blessing last year. And these people would come in just with tears, and they had no pretense. And most of them, you know what's really sad, what goes on in religiosity in church? Is a lot of the people would go, you know what, we're going to come on Sunday to your church. And I always tell them, I'm like, this has nothing to do with your attendance at Turning Point Church. If you've never come to this church, so What? That's not good, Pastor. That's not good advertising. But do you see the people feel guilty, right? We've blessed them, and now they feel guilty, and they feel obligated. I give you something, and you give me something in return. But how many realize today that when Christ died on a cross, He didn't receive anything in return? He gave it all. And by the way, again, the guilty part of things for our life, we might look here today and say, oh man, we're going to challenge our giving. I'm going to challenge your giving today. Absolutely. I'm going to challenge your lifestyle. I'm going to challenge maybe even your version and your understanding of Christ and how we package a $3 gospel and say, I don't want Jesus to mess my life up. He will mess you up. I don't want Jesus... To start stirring things and stirring the pot in my life and the way my spending was. I don't want him to touch that. He will touch it because it's his. And he loves you. And he's not trying to take things from you. He's trying to release the blessing through you so that you and I can break the chains of the oppressed. You look just in your one city block of your neighborhood. And you will count tons of people who are either bound by drugs Bound by sexual sins, bound by all sorts of oppression and demonic things. You will find that just in your city block. Come on. I want us to think deeper than church attendance. I want us to think like transformation. Christianity maybe has lost its place, but Jesus didn't. Jesus never loses his place, by the way, he's on the throne. And you know, Jesus, when He was walking through Rome, let me tell you something. All the laws didn't line up with the disciples. Can I get an amen there? Those 12 disciples didn't have the laws in their favor. And yet somehow they still had boldness. And somehow they still preached the gospel. And somehow people still got healed. And somehow Jesus was really popular. Because there was a pure gospel. So if you're waiting for laws to line up with your gospel... You might need to sit in the back seat for a while because life is changing and we are in Babylon. I'm so upset we don't have this and don't have that. You know what's funny? We don't have prayers in school. I love Nate's. Nate had an awesome thing. He's bringing together a group of kids at his school where they don't allow prayers in school. Yes, they do allow prayers in school. It's actually better now than what it was before. You know why? Because now groups of kids organically are rising up and they're having Bible studies before school. Well, what are we going to do? The kids are rising up. And there will always be a remnant. Do you know that? There will always be a remnant. There will always be a hot on fire for person somewhere out there that is not willing to compromise, that is not willing to take in the religious garbage of what church kind of can offer sometimes, and they will say, I want the pure gospel, and I'm not willing to settle for the $3 religious version. The religious circus, Mark Twain said, having spent considerable time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with tax collectors and sinners. (laughs) We all have the excuse or we say, I'm a good person. We have heard that said before. I'm a good person. We have people that come to situations and they say, well, I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. Then why on earth did Jesus even die on the cross? I guess only a couple people needed that kind of salvation. We were all dead in trespasses and sins, and we were all laced with sin, sickness, depravity of man. We needed Christ, and the religious circus will tell us that we're good, we're okay. God, do something here because we're special and we deserve it. Man, we don't deserve any of it. God's trumpet blast to His church in America is—it's it, a trumpet's blast. It's a raised voice. To hear God's over our own chatter, our telling God how good we are and asking Him why He hasn't acted on our behalf yet. Have you not seen our fasting? I heard an author say this, the world is increasingly uninterested in our Christian story. Our current presentation is not just compelling most believers who represent it, battle boredom and apathy. They're spiritually immature and demonstrate religiosity without transformation. We launch public shame grenades with abandon and claim to love the sinner but hate the sin, which translates to we are enormous, pompous jerks. Our faith communities run the gamut from judgmental high church to feel-good talent shows, and people aren't buying it anymore. Remarkably, most outsiders are not anti-church. Our gospel isn't provocative to incite backlash anymore. They simply dismiss the church as irrelevant to their real lives since it seems mostly irrelevant To the people who go there. So we have two versions. We have high church pompous jerks. And we have the talent show. Where we go there for the entertainment. To see things and have a fun little circus game. And then we have the folks who are too good for everyone else. And don't want to get their hands dirty high church people. Folks, I'm telling you grassroots, so I don't want anyone in... Our church is neither of these. Our church is the best church in the city of Rockford, Illinois. We are an awesome group of folks. But I will say this and predicate all of this. When we read the gospel, we must take scripture and read it and say, God, I want you to search deep in the recesses of my life and heart and see if there's anything that is offensive to you and take it out of my life. That's how scripture must be read. Scripture cannot be something to further bold our causes that we have already figured out. We must come to Scripture as a student of the Word and understanding that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it must take and it must cut me to the quick and it must bring humility and a contrite heart into my life. Scripture can't make us more puffed up. Scripture must bring us down lower. What will make the difference? God speaks to the people. And he says, hey, you're fasting. You think that's fasting? And they're like, yeah, that's what we've we've been taught. Sackcloth and ashes and fasting and all this kind of gamut. We're supposed to do this. This is church. We've been to the temple. Whenever the doors are open, God bless my home. You call that fasting? Loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Share food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer of a shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them and do not turn away your own flesh and blood. Isn't it interesting when Jesus in the Gospels, when he shares the story of the Good Samaritan, what an extremely provocative story Jesus shares. And we would think today that that would make sense. But here Jesus talks about a Samaritan who was a half-breed. He, was a, he had every sort of thing. He was worse than the worst than the worst there was. Jews hated Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. The good Samaritan comes there and starts to help out this man on the road. And not only does he just give him not just flip some coins his way, he sets him up, he pours oil and wine on his wounds, takes care of him, he puts him on his own horse, brings him to the shelter. Give the innkeeper money and he says, you take care of him, i got to get moving, but make sure that when he leaves here, he's in the best shape he can be. And the people were in awe. And then they asked him who our neighbor was and all these sorts of things. And Jesus had to redefine. You think we automatically just figure this stuff out. We need to be taught this stuff. Because we forget who our neighbors are. We forget. And isn't it funny how God even addresses, he said, hey, don't throw your family and relatives don't run from them when they need help. He even has to tell them and teach them, you take care of your family. What a concept. See that Isaiah 58, it's not clean. It's not pretty. One of the things that we've got to start doing, I love what Erwin McManus writes. He says, stop praying and fasting, and he says, start listening. Erwin McManus writes this, people who are constantly praying about everything may be doing too much talking and not enough listening. The point of prayer is response. And once God has spoken, you don't need to pray about that anymore. Unless, of course, you are trying to change his mind. He said, I don't need to pray for a wife, he's married. I don't need to pray about whether I should love her. I don't need to pray about whether I should be faithful. I don't need to pray about whether I should be a good husband. I already know the answers to all of this. You know, and that really comes back to me. When we see someone in need, we don't need to say, Lord, should I help this person in need today? Right? What is the worst thing that can happen? And we think about it, We pray about it, we think about it, we pray about it, and we keep going. And I want you to tell, I want to tell you this, that God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, you do have to use thought, but sometimes our brain gets in the way of our hearts, folks. Sometimes our rational pragmatism is what keeps us away from fulfilling the word of God in our lives, personally, every day of our lives. See a person in need? If it's within your ability to help that person, then the Bible says it's sin to you if you don't help him. That's what the Bible declares. Lord, what should I do today? Find someone to help. I don't know what I should do. We got extra things. We try to figure out ways to spend money. You know, Steve, I love opening presents. I got to tell you, doesn't anybody here love opening presents? (laughs) You don't have to be bashful about that. I love getting presents. The other day I was sitting there thinking about presents that I could have for Christmas. Sitting on the couch, I'm going through online, you know, checking out, you know, all the cool techie gadgets. I love techie things. I love computer things and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I'm just giving you all sorts of mini ideas. I'm totally kidding. it. <laughs> But we find ways to get things for ourselves. Do you know, we are so bored with our money, we find ways to spend it. We find things to do. What we need to pray for is not what to do with what we have. But we need to pray for courage and conviction to bless someone because we're already blessed. God, give me courage. God, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Do you know every year we come before this and we say, Lord, give us the right people. Lord, we want to make sure that we bless the people that you send our way. So we do pray about it. But at that point, we stop and then we start serving people and start serving needs and realize that as the overflow happens, do you know with this thing that was so cool, we started having people just start handing us money with this. Isn't it funny how when you start blessing people, people get energized and start just wanting to be involved with it? And it's not the amount. It's the fact that people are thinking about this. I I, I love it how people just take personal the things of God and realize, man, God, I want to be a blessing to someone. But what we need to pray for is not what I should do, but pray for courage and conviction in doing it. Give me courage to help others. Give me courage to help the family in need, the hopeless neighbor, all those situations. And we realize... That what happens is the journey becomes harder than what we expected, isn't it? Now my goal here is for us to continually give more and more and more and more and help more and more and more and more families. Can I get an amen? amen? We cannot be satisfied with this. We must bless as many people as we can before Jesus Christ returns. And present the gospel. The journey becomes harder than what you expect. You jump on the train, you're all excited, and you think, okay, I'm going to get my sleeves rolled up here. I'm going to get into that, Steve. Okay, now, now what? Now, what do I do? Well, we got to go in here and do this. I remember last year we started helping families and getting into things. I remember a girl came in from Chicago. She had a place she had to stay, and I'm sitting there with Elmer, and I said, What has she got in her home? And he said, Nothing. So, like, that means nothing. Yeah, nothing. We walk into the apartment, we see this place, and we literally see empty cupboards, no place to sleep. So, again, I told you this story before, but we fill that trailer up. And I want to use this as an example for this year going forward. We start seeing this, and we filled it up. We brought couches in there. We filled the cupboards. We filled the refrigerator. Folks, this type of situation didn't require a can of beans. It required a whole house renovation. The journey becomes harder than what you expected. Everything you get into with the things of God will always be harder and longer and more strength than you would ever think you would need once you dive into the things of God in the life that He has for you. An author writes this, a frustrating trait about God, is he expects us to act on conviction fairly quickly. Pretty much the second he convinces us to move, to change, to shift, we're supposed to do it. When God convicts you of something, don't sit around and ponder. We're great ponderers, aren't we? I love what this author goes on to write. He captures our minds first, so he speaks into our mind. God speaks today still, by the way. God gives you an idea to help someone. You're rolling your sleeves up and you say, God... Use me. He's like, all right, you don't even know what you're asking for. (laughs) Use me! Use me! Here we go. You ready? He captures our minds. He has our attention. The Holy Spirit lives within every one of us. And my sheep hear my voice and they know me. So you know it today. You know it. Now he seizes our hearts. It goes right here. You start to cry for the situation. You start to bleed for it. You have dreams about it. You're frustrated because you can't do more. So he's captured your imagination. Now he has your heart. So if it just stays here... Then you're just thinking logically about it. He knows he's got to tether the heart in there. So now you have your heart involved with it. Now you've got emotion. Now there's value. Now there's passion. And now you're bleeding for it. And then he calls to our hands. Our hands. To free the oppressed. I want to tell you today that you might not understand poor. You might not be poor today. You might have come from a whole lot of good stuff, or you might have come from nothing. You might not be in the middle of much. But even the person that doesn't have much is without excuse because it all goes back. Remember the widow's mites? She just gave those two little bites, And he says, that woman's gift will be an example to all about what this is all about. So we always provide excuses to God. He speaks to our mind, and we say, I'm not capable of doing it. And he says, you can do it with me. He convinces us in our minds. It jumps into our hearts. And now all of a sudden we can't pray about it anymore. We're done praying about it. Now I've got to do something with my hands. Remember James, he said that convicting verse. He says, you talk faith and I show you works. We can talk about the love of God and loving people. Love God and Love the world and love, love, love. Everything is defined by love. Well, what does love look like? Zacchaeus comes to Christ. He's a tax collector. His hands got to work, didn't they? He comes to Christ, receives salvation. He goes up in the sycamore tree sees Jesus preaching. Jesus said, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. That was that tax collector. He loved hanging out with tax collectors. How many love tax collectors in here today? He goes to his house. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus finds salvation. And how did he find salvation? He said, salvation comes to your house. When did Jesus make that statement? He makes that statement after the fact when Zacchaeus, being prompted by God to say, I'm going to restore to all these people I stole from. It worked from his head, to his heart, to his hands. And as a response, Jesus says, Salvation just came to your house, Zacchaeus. You got it. You understand this now. We realize that it's not as simple as going to church and doing a quiet time and giving a tithe anymore. Everyone goes, snap." It's not that easy. So Jesus can't be reduced to three points in a poem or three points to a successful life because that might work in the world system, but it doesn't work in God's economy, does it? No, you, you, you can't put a business model to God. You can't put a business model to the God of the universe. You can't condense him down to your cute little diagrams. No, and spreadsheets. Jesus is much bigger than those spreadsheets, and he's much more complex in the spreadsheet and his economy is different he says the the last shall be first and the first shall be last he says let those who are great among you become the servant in this place that's the kind of spirit that drives the church that's the kind of spirit that is driving turning point into what God's calling it to be and to do oh Lord our prayer should be Lord give me courage I am just like everyone else here I am scared to step out I know I love doing this, and I'm up here in front of you, but I'm telling you, when it comes to one-on-one with people, I'm scared to death like everyone else is. What will they think of me? What will they say? What will happen if I read this wrong? I ask the exact same questions. And Isaiah 58 calls us to that. Oh, give us courage, O Lord. G.K. Chesterton writes, if you meet the Jesus of the Gospel, you must redefine what love is, or you won't be able to stand Him. When you meet the Jesus of the gospel, you must redefine what love is, or you won't be able to stand it. Because the people that Jesus loved, many times the church has already thrown out. The things and the situations that Jesus would jump into and call a value is the very things that the church devalues. God wants to do a miracle through you and I. Turn real quick to Matthew chapter 25, verse 32. Turn to someone real quick as you're turning there and say, God wants to do a miracle through you. Matthew 25, 32. This is the final judgment, by the way. He will separate the sheep from the goats. By the way, I heard one author say this. It was pretty funny. You know, you think of God and you're like, oh my gosh, the judgment throne, that's going to be pretty scary. But you know the same judge who's going to be sitting up there is the same judge that died for you. It's kind of like having your grandma on the throne. Your grandma would do anything for you. Jesus died for you. He fought for you. He's not just your judge. He is the one who fought for your very soul. What a beautiful thing. Isn't it a promise for all of us? As believers in Christ, Matthew 25:32 declares this: "All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as shepherd. Uh, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep at the right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, "Come, you are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared, prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink." I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I will tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Beautiful, isn't it? I get so energized. Everyone gets all in the, you know, the, ah, Christmas is so, ah, Christmas songs and all this. It is the one time of year where the whole world just wants to give lavishly on everyone. That's such a horrible time of year. Get on to their Christian debate about this. Can I just ask you, believer, to relax and to be a blessing to someone and enjoy the season of Christ, this Advent year, please? Amen. Whatever you did for the least of you know what's so crazy, we get so mad at the world and world's so bad. And then the secular stations, they will actually play Christmas carols that talk about the birth of Jesus. So horrible. <laughs> you can laugh there, sarcasm whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, Jesus declares you did for me, when we did jail ministry, folks, I didn't have a word to say, what am I going to tell these guys in jail what do I have to tell them I'm not some gangster, I don't know the street. what do I tell these guys are you kidding me, Norm, really this guy needs to be here banana republic wearing guy needs to be in that jail You know what they wanted? They wanted to talk to someone. Because they've been stripped of everything. Oh, they deserved it, I'm sure. They still need someone. They needed to be spoken to as a person and not looked at like an animal. Another amazing story. The disciples, Jesus was preaching to the people. He had the disciples get away. The crowds kept following Him. They went out to the boat. The crowds kept following and It got to the point where the disciples were like, well, what are we, we going to do here? We got, we... Jesus said, hey, what do you guys got to feed these people? What? Mark 6. Let's turn there real quick. A funny story. This is what Jesus does to turning point, by the way. Okay? So I want you to think, with our little loaves of fishes, I want you to think about something here and look at our own life. Mark 6, chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said to them, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Good luck, Jesus. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. I know that feeling. So they felt... Left by a boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead the shore and got ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, come here. This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what? They asked. We've had to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. I mean, he doesn't get it. Like, what? This is going to take the whole year for us to pay for this. How much bread do you have? Jesus says. He asked, Go and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they can distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers, bread and fish. Total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from these loaves. Folks, it was more than 5,000 people. It was a ridiculous number of folks because they didn't count women and children. It was nuts, the miracle that Jesus Christ pulled off. And this brings me to my next point. Jesus declares this and he says, you give them something to eat. He didn't create fish out of the sky or bread. He didn't go to the mill and start making a quick loaf of bread. He blessed something that was already there. Some little kid was selling bread or stuff, and he gives that to them, she gives it to them, and all of a sudden they have the loaves and the fish. And Jesus says, this is enough. And for all of us, we go through life and we say, it's never enough, I'll never be able to make it, this is never going to happen. And you're cursing God as you do that. Because it is enough. It's enough. Turn to someone and be there. it's enough. It's enough. And I get in this battle with God too. It's not. And if one week God decides to bless you on a caviar diet, enjoy the caviar. But if the next week you have to eat hot dogs, thank God for Oscar Mayer Just make sure they're all beef and no fillers. Amen. You don't have much to buy. See, we in the church get this way. This is like a year's worth of income. How can we pull this off? The seed that you have is enough for God to multiply and do something amazing with. So it's not millions. We always get excited about the millions stuff and the big givers and this and that. And I had a person, he was talking about this one guy who was a. Big giver and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? There are a lot of people that do little gifts that are pretty, pretty amazing people too. I love the little givers as much as the big givers. And so the little givers, though, don't get all the big show because they can't do all the big things and walk in and get their name on the chair in the church. But that little giver is the one pushing the caboose. You know what I'm saying? You have enough. You don't have much. But you've got something and life, we essentially write off God by the situations we face. We may be looking at financial setbacks, a loss of whatever, and we don't allow God to use what we have. I'm telling you, God wants to use what you have. Cast your bread. My wife uses this verse a lot. Cast your bread upon the waters and watch it all return. And it's amazing how when you cast your bread out and allow God to use whatever resources you have, God will bless you and he will make a way for you. Say this out loud to the person really good and confidently. You have something God can use. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. You really have something God You've got something. That's how come even with our young children, I want us to teach them even the art of giving. You know, giving is a special thing. And if our children can start young to understand that it is always better to give than to receive. Listen, kids, go open your closets and see them chock full of stuff that you don't even mess with anymore. You've got stuff coming out your ears. Sell the stuff. Have a garage sale. Give it towards something. Do something with what you've got. Yes, right. Give what you've got. Because God is the great multiplier. Philippians 4.19, you don't have to turn there, but it says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all of your needs. Not maybe, but God will. It's a promise to you and me. Put that post-it note on your forehead if you have to. Because God is going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. He's going to make His way shy on you. And you know what money has a tendency to do? We get into a place in life where we start depending more on money than we do on God. And money never was supposed to be there. God is our provider, not money is our provider. like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I've got to use money to get that, that. that. Yes, but if you look to God, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. It's not money first and then God. It's God first, and then out of the abundance, He pours out to us and blesses us. He prospers us, even as our soul prospers. He gives to us, and out of that, we give thanks and we can become a blessing to people in our lives. Because we realize that everything is God's in the first place. I love what Kyle Eidelman writes. And he says, God has given us the use of his resources for a short time here on earth. And we have much to be grateful for. Go through your day sometime and just recognize that everything is God's. Here's how you do it. Get out of God's bed and walk into God's bathroom. And turn on God's shower. And then put on God's clothes. Eat God's cereal and drink God's coffee. And get in God's car and head to work. Pretty cool, isn't it? I read that and like, how astounding, how amazing. When you get out of that bed you go, thanks for this bed. God, thank you for these blankets. Thank you for the shower. Anybody made a hot shower this morning? That was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Let me tell you something. I spent a month in Siberia of no hot showers. And it's the worst thing ever in the entire earth you'll ever go through. God is the great multiplier. It's amazing. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine... You did for me, so when we do this, and out of the abundance of what our little church can do, we will bless people. Again, I love what Rod has said in the bulletin and what Perk put in there. That my mom, she said about the thing, you might not change the world, but you'll change the world of one person. We have got to have that mindset. Not the rights. We have the privilege of serving Jesus himself. Every time we feed a hungry belly, every moment we give dignity to someone who's not left. We acknowledge the value of a convict because he's a human being. We share our extreme excesses with those who have nothing. And when we love the forsaken and remember the forgotten, Jesus is there. Shane Claiborne, who worked with uh, Mother Teresa in her ministry, the home for the destitute and dying, he said it like this, I've met Jesus at the bottom far more than I commune with him at the top. He described his experience at the home for the destitute and the dying You'll meet Jesus a whole lot more in the thickets than you will way up in the mountaintop. Mountaintops are fun, but you get to see the miracles and all the work of God happening in the valleys. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. We're going to wrap this thing up. Today, if you didn't tell from this message, we're jumping in and helping families. And I want us to have our thoughts and, our, and have courage to step forward and realize that what God has given to us is more than enough. We have more than enough people. We have more than enough resources. We have more than enough capacity to do something we never dreamed possible. Because Jesus is the one who's going to lavish it all anyways. we got six families here. We have Charlotte and Mindy and Latoya and Marina and Erica, and Augustine, and Lacey. And it's amazing to me when I start seeing the names and the ages, and I think about what kind of resources and what kind of things it takes for us, even in our house, to run our house. Just like you in your home. And I want to tell you something, that these families that we're truly going to be helping need the help. And it's great because Elmer, who helps us with this, gets through an understanding of who these families are and working with them very personally. And so how we want to touch just specifically at this ministry is touching these specific families. I uh, want us to pray today for these families and for us to have courage today. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. But before we tackle that, maybe today you're here. And you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus is calling out to you. He died on the cross for you and for me. And He wants to come into your life and change you forever. Maybe you've had a form of religion. Maybe you've been part of church experiences. You've gone to the temple many times. So you know the lingo. And you've been unaffected by it. But I want you to know that there is a person in Jesus that wants to affect your life and to change you forever, to transform you, to give you new birth. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus wants to come in to your life. And he wants to restore you and to make you new. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And today I want to give him my life. Why don't you raise your hand, I want to pray with you today. Next thing's for all of us. Today, maybe Isaiah 58 hit something, hit a nerve. And you say, you know what? I've been treating this gospel more like a religious thing than a relationship. And I'm stepping back into this. And I need courage because, quite frankly, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And I've had too much control of my life And I want to be able to be one of those people that not only has the chains of oppression broken my life, but I want to be someone to break the chains of oppression through the power of Jesus. Today you say, you know what, I'm jumping out of this and getting out of the church mix and realizing that Jesus Christ has wonderful plans for my life. Today I thank you. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you today. Thank you. Anyone else? Shall we pray together, all of us? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I thank you, I thank you, that, you that you came to break the chains, break the chains of, the of the oppressor. That you came for the little people in life. Came and, came to and came to provide freedom. Lord, I thank you Lord, that you're calling me and that you're going to use me to work in oppressive situations so that your light will sign not only in me, but through me. Help me, Lord, and give me courage for what you're calling me to. Lord, I love you. Fill me today with your spirit so I can have boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you, love you very much. We're going to be gathering these families together in the next couple of weeks. We'll be in contact with them this week. Just start getting, getting, uh, talking to them, and uh, it's a really, really neat time. And see how God might want to use you. And we'll start adopting families and kids. But uh, let's see what happens even through the year through our Hope Ministry about what God does and how He challenges us into new seasons when we hand God our little bread and our little fish, and God does some crazy work through Turning Point. Isn't that neat? Yeah. I love you guys so much, and uh, have an awesome, awesome week. Don't forget about the sign-ups out in the cafe. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, let someone know before you leave here. And pray and get some strength before you get out there. Amen? Amen. Love you.